I, I want to share with you what I think is, is a prophetic message this morning, specifically for this house, uh, a message that I feel the Lord has laid on my heart this week. And uh, I've been sharing with our staff over the last two Tuesdays uh, a little bit about my heart for the future and, and particularly the move of God that I believe is coming on the house. And we're already experiencing that and have been experiencing that for some time now in pockets. There's areas of our church where you can just see the hand of God so clearly and the, the fruit, the blessing, the favor of God is so evident. But I, I really feel that the Lord, and I, and I don't shut down when you hear me say this, hear me out with my message this morning, but I really feel the Lord is calling our church to a, a, a whole new commitment to holiness, a whole new level of, of being separated to the Lord for his divine purpose, that we would be clean vessels through which the Holy Spirit can move, that we would be open, unblocked vessels for the Holy Spirit to move through and for there to be no hindrance on our part that would block a move of God and would hold back the hand of God from bringing favor upon this house, favor where we see the fruit of souls being saved, favor where we see the fruit of bodies being healed, hearts and minds and emotions being restored. I, I, I believe with all my heart, and I have done ever since I've been the senior pastor here, in the mandate upon this church, which is founded in Isaiah 61, which is echoed again by Jesus in the tabernacle, in Luke chapter 4, where it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. I, I believe those words are prophetic for this church. The Spirit of the Lord is upon this house. Because. Why is the Spirit of the Lord upon us? He has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. He's anointed us to bring good news to those that are broken, those that are hurting, those that have lost their way, those that feel like there is now no more hope left in this life they might as well give up and die. The Spirit of the Lord is on this house. Because he has anointed us to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim that the release of captives, people that are bound, people that are, are addicted, people that are haunted, people that are oppressed with all kinds of emotional, physical issues that just rob them of joy and peace and happiness in life. Jesus came that we might have life and have it in abundance. But I don't see a lot of abundant living across a lot of the Christian church today because I think we've, we've missed something key in the Bible, which is a, a, it's a, an ability to open the door for the move of God to come. I don't believe that that we should be praying for a move of God. I think we are the key to the move of God. You see, God is already moving. God has already done everything that is necessary for us to experience the flow of his power that unleashes chains and sets the captives free, which is the purpose of this house. We, God has already done all that. He's now sitting, waiting for us to move. That's why Jesus said, now you go, therefore, and preach the good news to the poor. You go and make disciples of all nations because I've already done everything that's necessary. That tells me the blockage is at this end, not at God's end. And in Hebrews chapter 12, I want to read to you uh, four verses. Hebrews chapter 12, starting from verse 10, 
The author says, for our earthly fathers, our earthly mum and dad disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. In other words, what the author is saying is that our mum and dad did the best they could do. They, they, and I understand that not everybody had a great experience with mum and dad, and not every mum and dad has actually done the best they could do. But on an earthly spectrum, we are flawed human beings. We can't discipline in a perfect manner. We can't raise our children in a perfect manner. And the author is recognising our weaknesses as parents, and he's saying that our earthly fathers operated in that realm of weakness, but God's discipline is totally different. It's always good. It's always perfect. It's always about achieving an outcome that, that is only possible if we cooperate with the discipline. God's discipline is always good for us so that we might, what? Share in his holiness. He's trying to mold us and shape us back into the image of God that we were created in. Remember in the book of Genesis, when God created man, he created man in his image. And that image was damaged. That image was marred. It was, it was attacked by a demonic attack in the Garden of Eden where the devil tempted man to decide they were brighter than God and do things their way. And ever since then, the world has been on a downward spiral. Pain infiltrated the human race. Sickness infiltrated the human race. Violence infiltrated the human race. Hatred, bitterness, resentment, selfishness infiltrated the human race as a result. God is not hateful. God is not resentful. God is not uh, filled with bitterness or anger. God, God has not changed. There is no shadow of turning in him, according to the Bible. He, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's us that's changed. And that damage has been done, and now... The process of God, when we surrender our life to Jesus, his process is to reshape us back into the image that was lost back in the garden when Adam and Eve fell. His discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I'm reading from the New Testament. And the New Testament does not teach that now that you're no longer under the law, you can behave any way you like. The New Testament teaches that we are called to a pattern of right living, right living that is in alignment with the word of God, God's standard. God's law has not changed. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so God's law still stands, God's standards, God's principles for living, God's standard of holiness that we are called to live at has not changed. What has changed is we can now achieve that through the help of the Holy Spirit. We can now deal with our sins through the blood of Jesus and we can now be empowered to actually live a much higher life than we ever thought possible. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to do it. Afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Some people say, oh, we don't work anymore. We don't do anything and it's all by grace. Well, yeah, our salvation is. But getting back into alignment with God, we are to apply ourselves. Strengthen your weak hands, strengthen your feeble knees, stand up in the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to follow Jesus into the life that he died to give us. 
And the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to do it. He is our constant help. He is our constant friend. He is the great paraclete who comes alongside to help us operate with the right attitude, to help us treat people in the right way, to help us respond to disappointment in a godly and Christ-like manner, to help us deal with setbacks in a, a biblical way so that we can rise up and show the world the difference that God makes in our, our life. That's what holiness does. Strengthen your, your, your hands and, and your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet. This is, this is our responsibility. But often we will, we will get up in the morning and pray, God, mark out a straight path for me. Help me keep my feet on the right path. But the Bible's actually telling us where to mark the path out ourselves. Where to determine according to the word of God? What is it that I'm called to live like? What is the standard of living the Bible calls me to? And without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus in our life, it's impossible to do it. That's why Jesus came. You see, the law was there to show us how, how lost and how broken and how miserable we actually were. It came to a point where we thought, we cannot keep these standards, God. God said, now that you recognize that, I'll send you a savior. And if you just acknowledge that you're lost without the Savior, I will then turn this around, restore the image that you lost in the Garden of Eden, and you'll begin to live as the head, not the tail. You'll begin to live above, not beneath. You'll begin to be a conqueror, an overcomer. You will take life by the horns, and you will win every single time. If you just acknowledge your desperate need of me, and if you will just make a straight path for yourself, and every morning get up and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to follow you today. I'm going to let you lead me. I'm going to let you guide me. I, I want your word to speak to me so that I know the standards that I'm called to live at. And then when I get a revelation of what those standards are, Holy Spirit, I can't do it on my own. I need you to help me get there. That's what holiness is all about. So the author goes on, mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone. Work at it. Not, oh, Lord, I just need you to come and do this for me. I know there's a place for that. He will do what we can't do. But he still, according to New Testament teaching, expects us to do what we can do. He expects us to work out our salvation, to enable the Holy Spirit to change us and develop us. And when we do, we will step into abundant living that we to date perhaps has been outside of our reach. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. Now listen to these words. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. That's heavy words. Those who are not holy will not see the Lord. I, I wonder if the reason why we're not seeing God in our circumstances is because of a lack of holiness. Please don't switch off. This is not the most favorite of teachings in the church today. I know we would rather leave feeling good about ourselves and our situations and unchallenged. But if we truly want God moving in our life, if we truly want healing, if we truly want breakthrough, if we truly want life abundantly, we have to recognize that there is a process to actually get it. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But when it comes to walking in the life that Jesus died to give us, we have to make the right choices. We have to make the right decisions to align ourselves. I, I, 
I don't want to just see God from a distance. The Bible tells us clearly, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. I want to see the Lord working in my marriage. I want to see it. I don't want to have a relationship with God that is just ethereal, where he's just out there somewhere. And when I pray, I hope he hears me, but I rarely hear anything back, if at all. I don't want a relationship with God like that. I want a relationship with God where I can actually see him moving on my behalf. Margot and I, believe it or not, we have a great marriage, but we've had our challenges. We've had our struggles. We've had our disagreements. We've had our moments where I am absolutely convinced, as I know she is, that if it wasn't for Jesus in our life, we probably wouldn't be together today. But because we have determined to make a straight path for ourselves, then we have chosen to work through the issues, resolve the issues with the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's why today we're coming up for, I shouldn't have gone there. (laughs) 36 years, next April. You know, Margot did a course at TAFE some years ago, and she was with a, a number of uh, women probably, you know, Margot would have been in her mid to late 40s and most of the women were in their late 20s, early 30s and some of them had a number of kids. They all had a number of kids to different husbands and so on. When they found out Margot had been married for over 30 years and that she had two children to the same man, they were gobsmacked because it doesn't happen much today. There is more divorce than marriage. But you see, I I believe the reason Margot and I are still married today isn't because I'm such a great husband or because she's such a great wife. It's because we've decided to yield to the Holy Spirit and say, God, help me not to be selfish in this situation. Help me to die to my own desires so that I can be a blessing to Margot, as I know she has done probably more often than I have ever done. And as a result of that, God has moved and brought us through into seasons where we've been so in love, so passionately in love. I won't give you any more details, but we have been so in love. It's like, man, I'm so glad things didn't fall apart back then, because what would I ever do without you? I want to see God moving in my marriage. But without holiness, I won't see that, because only those who are holy will see the Lord. I want to see God moving in my emotional and my mental health. You know, I've been in some dark places over recent years, and my emotional health has been so smashed and so, so devastated at times where I have felt like depression was actually going to overtake me. But because I kept going back to God, I kept realigning, saying, God, I, I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm struggling with resentment. And I know that these attitudes are not what you've called me to harbour in my heart. God, I find it so hard to overcome these feelings, but I'm right now surrendering to you and I'm dedicating myself to you afresh and I'm marking a straight path for myself so that, God, I might see you move. And in those moments, I, I am in his sight at that moment holy, not because I've done anything to become holy apart from surrender. That's what holiness is. Holiness simply means separated to God. And in a heartbeat, you can be in that position by simply saying, God, thus far, no fur. I'm not, I'm not going to go there anymore. And even if you do tomorrow, you just keep coming back. Because we have an advocate with the Father that if I sin. You see, he knows our weakness. He knows we are but dust. He knows our frame. He knows that tomorrow, the stinking attitude we've repented of today will probably come back. But while ever we are constantly coming back 
saying, God, I've, I've messed up again. God, I've had that shocking attitude again. God, help me. Help me to mark a straight path because you've called me to mark the straight path. And I want to follow you and I want to serve you and I want to be in your presence. I want to see you working in my emotional health. And I absolutely believe today without Jesus in my situation, I would have crashed and burned a number of years ago. It was only Jesus that got me through. And it was that position of holiness of absolute surrender, of saying, God, I submit to you. I don't want to behave like that anymore. I don't want to function like that. I don't want to think like that. I don't want attitudes like that anymore. I want to be like Jesus. And it's so hard to be like Jesus because he was just so perfect and he's such a big example. I just can't measure up. But now I've got the Holy Spirit and he's going to help me. To do. Can you see how this works? I want to see God in my friendships. I want to see God in my relationships on a horizontal level. But listen, I want to see God in my ministry. I want to see God in my church. That Well, I see it as my church. Ultimately, it's his church, but he's made me responsible for this congregation. And I just say, God, I want to see you move in this congregation. I want to see your heartbeat. I want to see your hand. I want to see your face. I want to see the fruit, the evidence that you are here with us. And if we would just keep coming back surrendering, we will see the Lord because holiness is what opens the door for his presence to come, come in. I want to see God in my finances. <laughs> He will breathe on our finances if we will surrender to him, if we will submit to him, if we will yield every aspect of our life to him, if we will, if we will give our... You know, when I first got saved, I, I went to a, an Easter camp and I was only saved a few months and this guy's preaching about discipleship and he's preaching on being surrendered to the Lord and he, he painted this picture that I've never forgotten. He said, you know, he got saved and he surrendered his heart to the Lord and he said, like that, he felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to give me everything. He said, everything. He said, yeah, I do. He said, what have you got? He said, well, I've got a house. I want you to give it to me. You want me to give you my house? Where am I going to live? Never mind. You just give me your house. And he said, all right, God, I give you my house. He said, what else have you got? Well, he said, I've got a bank account with a couple of grand in it. He said, I want it. What, all of it? He said, what am I going to live on? He said, never mind. He said, I want you to give it to me. And he said, God, I really want everything you have for my life. God, I give you my finances. I give you everything that's in my bank account. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but you've got my house. You've got my finances. So, okay, here. He said, hang on a minute. I'm sure you've got other things. Oh, I can't think of anything. What about the boat in the back out? You want my boat as well? He said, like, yeah, I want your boat as well. I said, I want everything. You said you surrendered your life to me. I said, I want everything. I want everything that you've got. What else have you got? He said, well, that's it. The boat's the only other thing. He said, no, you've got children that live under your roof. You want my kids? He said, I want everything. You said you surrendered your life to me. I said, I want it all. I want everything. He got to the point where he just, there was nothing left. He said, God, I just give it all to you, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And God said, here's what you're going to do. He said, I'm now going to give it all back to you, but it's mine, remember? And you're just looking after it. You're just the steward of this stuff. It's not yours to do what you want with. He said, you now need to talk to me about what you do with what you have because you've given it all to me, but I'm now giving it back to you as a steward, as my manager to look after it. You see, that's, that's holiness. That's surrender. And what happens is when we are good stewards with what God has given us, he gives us more. Can you see how this works? But without holiness, you don't ever see that sort of thing. You don't ever see that. We, we, we got to come to this place where it's not Jesus and but Jesus is everything. Jesus is all. I want to see God in everything that I do. And the Bible is so, so clear that, that the only way I can see him is through committing myself to this thing called holiness. 
This thing called holiness. You know, a huge part of the big picture plan of God is not to get us into heaven. It's to get heaven into us. It's to get his kingdom into us. It's to get the principles of his word into us. It's to get his image re-stamped into us. I love the story where, where the Pharisees came to trick Jesus and said, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They were trying to trip him up, remember? You know, trying to get him to break the law, trying to get him to do something that would give them grounds to have him arrested because he's now saying he won't pay taxes to Caesar. And Jesus, he, he would always stop, you know, like he, the, woman, the woman caught in adultery. Isn't it? I've heard so many things taught on this passage. The woman caught in adultery. They came, threw her in the, at his feet, said, the law says this woman should be stoned. What do you say? And they're trying to trap him. Remind me to come back to the coin story because I'll tell this story and then I'll go, what was I talking about? Remind me to come back to the, uh, should we pay taxes or not? It threw her at his feet and said, should, should you stone her? The law says we should. What do you say? And if he said, let's stone her, he would undo everything he was teaching. But if he said, let her go, then he's contradicting the law. So Jesus is in a dilemma and he stoops down and he begins to write in the dirt. Now, I've heard sermons and preachers say he, he sat down and he wrote the names of the girlfriends of all the Pharisees that they were seeing <laughs> that their wives knew nothing about. And that's why they thought, oh, he knows, or oh, we'll just wander off. I've heard other, other preachers say that, that he wrote the names of the sins of the Pharisees, where they all went, how did he know about that? We don't know what he wrote in the ground. We have no idea. We're not told. The Bible doesn't tell us. I personally believe Jesus didn't know what to say. I don't think he knew what to do. Because he was a man, remember, like us. He did not come in the capacity of God. He came dependent upon the Holy Spirit in his life to lead by example how we should live our life following the Holy Spirit. I think Jesus stooped down and went, Holy Spirit, what am I going to say to this one? And I believe he waited on God. He waited on direction. He waited on wisdom from above because he did. He came as a man. He came in the likeness of a man. He came tempted like you and I. He came with the same struggles and the same battles because he came as a role model to show us it's possible to face life with the Holy Spirit speaking to us and determining our direction and our footsteps and giving us wisdom when we need wisdom and power to overcome when we need power to overcome. The Holy Spirit was his ever-present friend and comfort and guide. And he said, saying, Holy Spirit, what am I going to say if I say stoner, I'm undoing everything. But if I say let it go, the Lord, what do I do? Give me wisdom. The Holy Spirit said, here's a good one. Why don't you ask him, he without sin, cast the first stone. Well, that's a good idea. <laughs> That'll work. This is what I honestly think happened on the ground. And he stood up and he looked at him and said, yep, you're right. So go ahead and stoner. But let the one who has no sin in his life throw the first stone. And I think he said it with such authority and the presence of God was there to bring conviction beyond measure where they all of a sudden thought, good heavens, what a comeback. And they turned and walked away. Now I told the story of the coin. They came to him again like they did with the woman caught in adultery and said, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Trying to trip him up. And he just, again, I think just said, Holy Spirit, what's the answer to this? Because he's functioning as a man, remember? And the Holy Spirit gives him wisdom. And he picks up a coin and he said, whose image is this on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. He 
said, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. That used to confuse me for years. What, what does that mean? Well, that, that probably means pay taxes. But why did he say give to God what is God's? You think, think about it. Whose image is on this coin? Caesar's. Well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's Caesar's coin. Pay his due. He's asking for taxes. But give to God the things that are God's. What I believe he's saying is, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But whose image is on your life? Then give to God what is God's. You see, we are called to surrender. We are called to give him our life. We are called to give him our best. We are called to... I haven't even got off the first page of my notes. I believe this is a prophetic word for our church right now. I really believe our church is being called to be beautified in our soul. Our spirit is born again. Our spirit is completely righteous before God, but our soul brings us undone. And I think the Lord is calling us to a new level of living, to a new level of dedication, a new level of discipleship, a new level of commitment, a new level of, of it's about holiness. And holiness is a posture. And this is what I was sharing with our staff last Tuesday and the Tuesday before. You know, it's a posture. You say, but oh, I've done so many bad things in the last 24 hours. I, man, a lot, I, I am just so far from that place of holiness. No, you're a decision from that place of holiness. Because the moment you say, God, I've been such a cow over the last... 24 hours. I've been mean to everybody. I've had a shocking attitude. I've doubted you. I've even been angry at you. I've even swore at you. I've, I, I've really had a shock at the last 24 hours. But God, I ask you right now to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of your son, Jesus. Cleanse me. If you pray this sincerely, oh, God comes to that prayer. Wash me in the blood of your son, Jesus. And right now, Lord, I submit afresh to you. You are holy at that instant. Because he, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sin. So at that moment, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The law has not changed. Jesus fulfilled the law. So now when we fall short of the law, we have an advocate who washes us clean. When we confess our sin, you know, we are still required to love one another. The two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, love people with all your heart, and you won't break any of the law of the old covenant. But we don't have to keep the law to get saved, but the law still stands. We still have to live as godly people. We still have to live as separated people. We still have to live as holy people, which is what holiness is all about. It simply means separated. Under the old covenant, the, 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 test, the, the temple, the tabernacle, there were certain uh, garments, there were certain utensils that man made. God gave the direction. He gave them the pattern. Make these things and then build me a tabernacle and make them according to the pattern that I give you. The moment they'd finished making them, those utensils were not holy. They became holy through a ceremonial process of washing and cleansing and setting apart in the tabernacle that those utensils then became holy and they had to be treated as clean and, and ceremonially set aside for God, godly purposes. Under the new covenant, it's no different. It's just more exciting. We are now the utensil. We are now the vehicle. We are now the, the vessel that is to be separated to God. We are now the people that he wants to flow through. Not, not garments, not utensils, not cups, not tables, not arcs, not curtains. He wants to flow through us. And it's the blood of his son that cleanses us from all sin and makes us holy. 
And then we become the vehicle through which God reaches this broken world. The tabernacle was the vehicle back then and it was limited. But Jesus came, ripped that curtain in two and said, I'm now making you the temple. And I want you to be holy because his law doesn't change. He cannot fill unholy vessels. I read on Facebook the other day, you will never be filled with God while you're full of yourself. That is so true. That is so true. He wants us set apart. He wants us holy. He wants us, you know, we, it's, not, it's not about not sinning. It's about how to deal with your sin. It's about walking with God daily. It's not about just thinking about God on Sunday in church. It's about walking with Jesus Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and asking him, help me today to deal with that antagonistic, arrogant work colleague. Help me to deal with their attitude in a godly manner. You know, it's, it's like, I, I, I believe the key to changing our life is the renewing of our mind. No doubt about it. It's the renewing of our mind. It's changing the way we think so that we think like Jesus does. I, I, I'm absolutely convinced of this. Jesus is not out to make bad people good. He's out to make broken people whole. That's what he's doing. And in the process, goodness will be a fruit in your life. Meekness will be a fruit in your life. Kindness, gentleness, love, joy, peace. It will be fruits in your life. As you live life daily from a posture of surrender, Jesus, I want to overcome. You know, there were things when I first got saved used to really push my buttons and make me, me angry. and arrogant. Many of those things don't anymore. Why? Because I've grown in my transformation. There are still other things that push my buttons and I've still got a long, long way to go. But over a period of time, things that used to upset me long, no longer do. Things that used to offend me no longer do. Things that would make me angry no longer do. There are other things now, bigger, bigger, you know, new levels, new devils. As you grow and you climb, you'll get a new devil to overcome and it'll happen this side of eternity. Get used to it. And some of those devils are mean and tough, but Jesus is meaner and tougher. And we can overcome every single situation. I, I believe we have to change the way that we think. You know, um, First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. That's a change of life. That's a noticeable change of life. Where people see you are different. People see you're no longer frustrated like you were. You're no longer depressed like you were. You no longer struggle with things like you did to the point where what's happened to you? Well, I'm now in Christ and he's made me a new creature, a new creation. All those old oppressive things are gone. The new has come. And it's a process. But we are called to change our life. We're called to change our lifestyle. He's, he's, uh, he's come to make broken people whole. He's come to make depressed people to start living with a spirit of joy, even when their circumstances don't change. That's supernatural. That's a miracle. To be happy when the storm is still there. To be courageous when the enemy is bearing down on you and you struggle in the natural to see God. But when you live a holy life, <laughs> you see God with the eyes of faith. You don't need to see him with your natural eyes. You see him with the eyes of faith because you can see his hand in the whole thing and it enables you to, to look the enemy in the eye and look the storm in the eye and push through. 
He's come, he's come to stop uh, living only getting by and to start living with a breakthrough mentality and an abundance and a, and a joy. I believe in prosperity, but it's more than money. You see, you can have a lot of money and have a very poor soul. He wants us prosperous on the inside. He wants to own us. Let me, let me, in the time that I just have left, show you something. We have to change the way we think. Some of us over years have developed stinking thinking. Some of us over years have developed wrong patterns of philosophies in our minds. We think certain things and it dictates our behavior. What you think is how you behave. Your behavior comes out of what you think in your mind. Uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So our thinking is critical to what outworks in our, in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. I'm going to wrap up with this, but I, I want you to not miss this. Paul says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What Paul is saying here is that when we are born again, we have at our disposal weapons, tools. The moment we give our life to Jesus, we, we have a, a, an arsenal provided to us. We have to learn how to use them. When I, uh, if I was to join the, the military, they wouldn't give me a gun the first day. I'd like one the first day, but they wouldn't give me one. I'd have to be trained in how to use the weapons that are at my disposal. You join the police force, you don't get your Glock 9 millimeter on the first day. You've got to be trained. You've got to be equipped in it. And Paul is trying to teach us here how to overcome the patterns of the negativity in our life, how to overcome the oppression in our life. And much of our problems in life, much of, not all, but much of our problems in life come out of the way we think. God has freely given us tools and grace to pull down strongholds in our life, whatever they might be. Um, but before we can effectively do that, you first need to understand how those things got there in the first place. You see, we, we are given weapons to pull down strongholds. Let me tell you very quickly how a stronghold is formed. Paul, Paul does this backwards. He said, they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. A stronghold starts with a thought. You start to think, you, you, you leave church right now, you go into the coffee lounge, somebody is just having a bad day and they're rude to you. If you're anything like me, you, you can be sensitive to that and you can think, what's your problem? And then it starts to just fester over in your mind. You start to relive the experience. What did I ever do to them? Why, why would they speak to me like that? I hardly even know the person. Well, we don't know often that they could be in pain for something and we've just got them at a bad moment and we've just borne the brunt of that. And we are actually called to be gracious and patient and kind and tolerant. And you think, heck, I've got a long way to go. So do I, believe me. But the thought, you get in the car. How dare they? They, they, I, they need to be confronted over that. They need to be challenged over that. It's like they're thoughts. They're thoughts that go through your mind and then you relive the moment and then more thoughts come, more thoughts come. And then eventually a thought long enough entertained becomes an argument in your mind. 
And you start having this argument in your mind. And the argument is about justifying the thought. And so the argument goes something like this. They were really rude to me. And at that moment, when you've entertained the thought long enough, the devil comes on your shoulder and says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you know. Yeah, they need to get their own back. You know, Lord, I just pray that they, they reap what they sow. They've been rude to me. Let everybody be rude to them for the rest of the day. Let them get a taste of their own medicine. The devil said, that's right, it is. You know, you've got to remember the scriptures. And he only reminds you of the scriptures that will reinforce your argument and often will take them out of context because he'll remind you of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but he will never say, don't forget to read the rest of that verse where Jesus said, but I say to you, <laughs> if your brother slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one. And do not repay evil with evil, but, but repay evil with good. He won't ever remind you of those ones. He'll take it out of context. But it becomes an argument. You begin to justify. You have a right to feel offended. You have a right to feel this way. They were rude to me. And I have a right to feel this way. People should not be Actually, the Bible says we're supposed to be kind to one another. They weren't very kind to me. Well, actually, the Bible's challenging me about my response to them and my attitude to them is not actually trying to fuel me to get back at people who breach the Bible if that makes sense. But an argument, um, well, actually, I've missed one. The thought, entertain long enough, becomes a high thing. Okay, because Paul said, we pull down strongholds, dissolve arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself, taking every thought captive. So the, the thought, entertain long enough, becomes a high thing. A high thing is just something you give copious amounts of attention to. So you dwell on it for too long. You think about it for too long. You, you, you chew over it. You, you, you go to sleep thinking about it. You wake up sleeping about it. You drive the car thinking about it. It's a high thing. It's now getting copious amounts of attention. But if we had just at the beginning of the thought taken it captive, they were rude to me. How dare they be rude to Hang on a minute. Jesus, I surrender to you. Your word says that if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one. Your word actually tells me to be patient with one another's faults. I don't know what happened to them today. Maybe they're having a bad day. Yeah, all right, they were rude to me. But Lord, I choose to turn, turn the other cheek. I take that thought and I bring it to the cross and I just cast it down. I'm not going to think about that anymore. I'm just going to think on whatever, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is of good report, whatever is praiseworthy. I'm just going to, that's taking a thought captive. Not allowing it to chew over and over and over till it becomes a high thing where you give it copious amounts of attention. Then it develops into an argument where the devil reminds you of scriptures to reinforce the argument. Then it becomes a stronghold of bitterness in your life because we've given the devil a foothold and now he's got an inroad to put a cancerous thing in your heart, in your soul. Where you develop a root of bitterness that, that, that sprouts up and defiles everybody in your life. It'll affect your wife, your husband, it'll affect your kids, it'll overflow into your workplace, it'll overflow into your business. Because the Bible is true. If you develop a root of bitterness in your life, it will sprout up and defile many. So it's not just you that gets hurt. But the stronghold would never have developed if we'd taken the thought captive in the first place. And then we take the thought captive. We don't just say, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. You've got to replace it with the truth. That's how your mind's renewed. You take, you take it. They were rude to me. Yep, but they were rude to Jesus too. And I, I want to be like Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm called to be surrendered to Jesus. I'm called to follow Jesus. I'm called to be an expression of his life on this planet. I'm part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ that walked the planet uh, you know, 2,000 years ago is now manifested through the body of Christ, the church, of which he is still the head. But we are the, the functioning hands and feet. And I'm called to be like, I, I, I'm not going to think, Lord, I just pray you bless that person. They were rude to me. I don't know what pain they're in. But Lord, your word tells me not to repay evil with evil. And yeah, I felt it was evil what they said and what they did. And it was unfair. and It was unjust. But Lord, 
I'm not going to repay that. I, I, I am going to do good to them. In fact, I'm going to send them flowers this week. By golly, that's a hard thing to do sometimes. But let me tell you something. You do that. You're being obedient to the word. You're being a disciple of Jesus. You're actually being holy because you're separating yourself to behave according to the way he's called us to behave. The level he's called us to live at. I have this strong burning in my heart that as a church, if we would just each individually determine when we walk out of here today, every day, I'm going to start with Jesus. I'm going to walk trusting him. I'm going to walk seeking to be, to be a blessing to him. And I'm going to behave in a godly, godly manner. Jesus can work with that. And here, we will see the Lord. We will see the Lord. I think you live like that. You'll start to see the Lord in your circumstance. You'll start to see the Lord in your pain. You'll start to see Him in your lack. Stan, to sing it just over here. He doesn't know that I know this, but somebody told me this some time ago. Stan used to play. It was rugby union, wasn't it, Stan? Stan's a big man. Are you ever shaking hands with Stan? You're kind of like, where's my hand gone? It just, he just swallows your hand inside of his. But somebody told me he'd go down in a scrum and people would play dirty and someone would hook him in the head or punch him in the nose or... Give him an uppercut. Is this, is this true? Yeah. And, you know, rather than fight back and retaliate, it'd be like, he just thought, what did you do that to me for? You know, it's like there's, he's a gentle giant, this man. I wouldn't want to cross him in the dark alley, but he's a gentle giant. Sometimes he's our doorman at Hope Cafe, Cafe and our team feel very, very safe when he's the doorman. But I, I don't know that if he was ever really confronted, he'd hurt anybody. You know, we... We are called to be separated. Let's be separated. Father, I pray today that you would help us all to be in Christ every day of the week, to do life out of our knowledge of the Word, to do life with the Holy Spirit, to do life out of relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be Christ-like. You would help us to be godly in our reactions, our responses, our behaviours, our thought life. Help us to take every thought captive. Help us, Lord, to, according to your word, not use foul and abusive language, but to let everything that is wholesome and edifying and encouraging come out of our mouth. When reviled, when persecuted, to not revile and persecute in return, but, Lord, to to turn the other cheek and pray for those who persecute us. Bless those. Lord, it's so hard to do, but Lord, without your Holy Spirit, with your Holy Spirit, we can do it. Father, I pray today you would help us all to rise to a level of holiness, simply declaring I'm separated to God. When I make a mistake, I'll keep coming back on track. When I sin, I'll keep coming back, asking Him to wash me and cleanse me because He's faithful and just to cleanse me. And Lord, I'm expecting as I follow that lifestyle with your help and your grace, we will see the Lord in this church, in this house, in the homes that make up this church. We will see it in marriages, in families, in businesses, in finances. Lord, in our emotional, our mental health. Lord, we will see the Lord because we're dedicated and holy. With holiness, the doors of heaven are open. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's stand together.